Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. I have a really fun episode for you today. Today, I am chatting with three members from my professional development membership group. Now, this membership group is honestly one of my favorite things that I've ever built. It is a group of truly awesome teachers, parents, clinicians, paraprofessionals, who are really all here for creating the best environment and life for their learners and students and children. Within the membership, you get ongoing training. So every month I share new training videos about staff training or class structure, academics, and data. But the best part of the membership for me is the community. On our new portal and our new app, we have this great activity feed. People can ask questions or ask for feedback or troubleshoot. And it's so fun to see people instantly respond like, oh yeah, I've been there too, or let me share my schedule or let me message you and I will talk this over. We've got these cool groups now where we can have groups with just parents or SLPs or early childhood teachers. So it really lets educators and parents connect with people that are in a similar situation than they are. I mean, when I was in the classroom, I truly felt like I was on special ed island. No one understood the complexities of my job, but no one understood why my job was great either. So I love that the membership has this community that can really connect educators and parents who truly get it. Like we're no longer on special ed island. We're in it together. We have a support system. Just having that I think is such a mental weight off your shoulders. You're like, okay, I know I have people that can help me when I need it. So 
I have the great honor today of sharing three conversations with three different members. The first one is with a parent in my group. And when I say rock star parent, and I always use this phrase when I talk about her, she is truly a rock star parent. Like she has gone so far above and beyond for her son to advocate for him, to do homeschooling and create materials. I mean, she, I think can like, we can say she's a teacher at this point. Um, she's really amazing. So I'm going to be introducing Vidya who has her own podcast. Actually, if you are a parent, I would definitely check, recommend you check it out. Her podcast is called autism family story. And today Vidya is going to be sharing with us three ways that teachers can collaborate with parents and caregivers. So I think this is some really great advice to go into the school year with to create those strong relationships with families. So let's go ahead and hear from Vidya. Hi, Vidya. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Sasha, for having me today. I am excited to have a parent on. You know, I love getting to talk to parents and hear you know, their advice and their input because they're truly the experts. So I'm excited, Vidya, for you to share um, today your three ways that teachers can support parents and families. I think this will be really helpful for educators as we go into the new school year. So what's your what's your first tip? So the first tip, Sasha, I would like to start with is that parents and teachers, they need to work in collaboration as one team. So that is my most important tip. The most important piece is something um, most of the teachers sometimes might miss out. So they need to know that parents are not their competitors, but it's the common goal for the parents and the teachers for the betterment of the child. So collaboration is very important between both parties. Teachers should share what kind of activities the children are working on at school. So there is a carryover at home front. This will also help the students with skill generalization and acquisition of the goals. So I think this is my number one tip for yeah. teachers. I, I so agree. And I love I love the you know simple suggestion of tell parents what kids are working on at home. You know, that was that was a little bit of a silver lining of of distance learning and virtual learning as parents had this kind of peek into the what the classroom activities were, but we should be doing that all the time, sharing the types of activities. Absolutely. Uh, yes. Yeah. Awesome. All right. What's tip number two? Tip number two is that teachers must give feedback to parents. So as parents of special needs children, it is very important for us to get feedback. Most of the times we always hear our children are not able to do this, our children are not able to do that. So it is very important to, uh, for us to hear sometimes from a teacher, even maybe a little note or a phone call to tell us something our child did do. Uh, it could be a very small thing, which might not be very significant to the teacher, but it might mean the world to us as special need parents. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's, that's so true. Yeah. Continue. And uh, so we want the teachers to believe in our children as much as we do. So I think that is the most important tip uh, for me as parent as well, to believe in my child as much as I do. Yeah. And, you know, teachers, guess they get busy. So we, we tend to call home or email home for things that you need to, a missing permission slip or, a, you know, something that uh, maybe a behavioral episode that wasn't so great. But we have to call home for those good things too. And, you know, and teachers, a lot of times, you know, those, those little steps, those baby steps, little victories, teachers get so excited, like, oh my gosh, Johnny said orange for the first time. And I always think like, you know, who's going to be just as excited about that? Their parents. 
Like they are going to understand what a big deal that is. And it's, it's such an important reminder to just send a little note once in a while. And it can really, I'm sure to you means so much when you hear those things about your son. Oh, of course, it means a lot. You know, it it means so much to us. I can't even explain what that means to hear back from my son's teacher saying, you know, my son did something today and, you know, something meaningful. And it, it is really, it's an amazing feeling. Oh, that's great. So more of that, right? All the time. <laughs> exactly. Um, and what's your last tip? The last tip is that teachers need to develop meaningful relationships with their students' parents as teachers should know that we as parents are experts on our children. They should keep the lines of communication open and brainstorm strategies. If something doesn't work, then they need to discuss with the parents and see if they can together come up with a solution and uh, solve the problem. And also, uh, you know, they have access to visual supports. They have access to the laminators, to, you know, all the different supplies, which many parents might not know or they might not be knowledgeable about it. So if they can make an extra copy, whether it is a copy of a visual schedule or maybe a worksheet or just an adapted book, if they can just send a copy home, I think that will help the students a lot and, uh, to uh, progress. Yeah. Have you had experiences with that with your son of teachers, you know, sending materials home that were working? Actually, um, not a lot. Sometimes they used to send something occasionally here and there. But most of the times, you know, I was, uh, I think, very self-equipped, you know, because with teachers, pay, pay teachers, I learned everything, how to make my own resources. So kind of uh, I did my own thing. Yeah. But I mean, how much easier it would have been for you if if you had the teacher pointing you in the right direction, right? Oh, exactly. It would have helped a lot because, you know, not all parents are so involved. Maybe they have work, you know, maybe they have other children, you know, they don't have that kind of um, time or, you know, resources to do that. I was fortunate enough that I ha did have access to you know, lots of resources. I was working part-time, so I was home the rest of the time. So I was able to devote that time to my son. I was able to prepare the resources. Uh, so I think I was lucky in that aspect. Yeah, for sure. You know, you said, you know, building this, you know, um, relationship, and it's it's so true. You know, you have to have a relationship with students, the teachers, but also with the parents. Beyond, you know, an IEP meeting or, you know, a progress report, what are some other times or ways that, that you would like to be involved in your son's classroom and life at the school? You know, right now my son is in high school, but of course, you know, due to the pandemic, it, he's been in virtual school for the last year. But once he does go back to school, I would like to go to the class and volunteer. In fact, you know, before the pandemic started, I was volunteering in his high school. That helped me a lot as well to get a first-hand experience of how the classroom was run, what kind of activities my son was doing, what were the challenges. So that is one thing I would like. And maybe, you know, having a team meeting uh, or maybe a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the teacher, because I know everybody is very busy. But, you know, when he was in elementary school, I used to make it a point to meet the teacher once every three months. So that was my time with her one-on-one -on -one where I got an update exactly as to how my son was doing, what were the challenges, what were the things he was struggling with, what were the things he was getting better at or he did good. So I think that was our time to discuss one-on-one -on -one, and then we came up with solutions and strategies to help him. And we did see a lot of improvement uh, through this collaboration. 
Yeah. I mean, when everyone's working together towards the same goal, like we're going to be so much more successful. Exactly. Awesome. Well, you know, you are such like, you know, I've said to you many times, I think you are a rock star parent. So I, I appreciate you sharing your advice and I appreciate you thinking about, you know, other parents that, you know, have to work full time or, or don't have as much time as you have. And, you know, you've truly gone so far above and beyond for your son and he's so lucky to have you. Um, but, you know, not all parents just they just don't have the time to be able to dedicate that. So thinking about ways that, you know, other parents can get this same connection and the same value from their teacher is so meaningful. So thank you so much, Vidya. Thank you, Sasha. Thank you for that. Next, I'm chatting with special education teacher Jamie Palmer. Jamie has some great advice for us all, that we shouldn't always be a yes person. I mean, isn't that smart? She shares how she learned that, learned that the hard way and gives some great advice for what to do when you are asked to do all the things. Sometimes, especially as a new teacher, we are asked to be on every committee and volunteer in every way possible, and it's just too much. So Jamie has some great advice on how to set those boundaries and how to learn when not to just say yes. Hi, Jamie. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Sasha. Thank you for inviting me. I am excited to chat with you and I love this topic. So Jamie's advice is not to be a yes person. And I have to guess, Jamie, that you probably learned this the hard way. Definitely. <laughs> let's let's hear that story. You willing to share that story? <laughs> um, it, it's a it's a short. One. I um when I first started teaching, I had a mentor that would not always tell me everything. And a lot of times she would um, tell me the wrong thing. And I was trying to be compliant and trying to be that person who got along. And so I took her at face value on the things that she um, told me to do. And then I was getting in trouble for them. Oh, no. (laughs) That's a really hard way to learn that. (laughs) Yes. And I'm not one of those that turns and says, well, she told me to. So I um, just um, said yes and learned to always question everything she told me. So I call it my Murphy's Law year. That <laughs> if it, if it could have gone wrong, it went wrong. Oh, I mean, I feel like everyone's had that teaching year, right? Yes. Yes. So how did you bring that into your following teaching years? Like, how do you question things? in a way that's like appropriate, where you're not offending people. I think that's why we sometimes become yes people because we don't want to like hurt anyone's feelings, right? Right. I do believe because when I um, found out she was telling me the wrong information and I started sticking up for myself or um, defending myself in some situations without, you know, placing blame, I, they didn't like that either. Yeah, I had to figure out how to make a happy medium of expressing that is incorrect and not making it sound like I'm making an administrator or a person I'm speaking to uh, get them, put them on the defense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fine, it's a fine balance, right? Yes, it is. And I think kind of another a struggle that I've had on being a yes person because I am an over I've I'm overcoming being a yes person as well. <laughs> so this is like a trait we have in common is when you say yes to too many things, 
you overcommit yourself and you are the one that deals with that on being overcommitted. And I think that leads to, oh my God, so many problems. I mean, that's why people burn out, right? Like, cause you say yes to too many things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, had to take on teaching what I was doing in my special education class and take over our self-contained class because the teacher had to go out early on um, bed rest. She was pregnant, but the administrator didn't let us know until a week after she was out. And we kept saying, where is she? Is she coming back? What's going on? And he said, oh, by the way, I need you to teach both classes. Oh. And of course, you know, I'm going, sure. I yeah. do that. <laughs> and it was extremely stressful those last six weeks because I didn't have a lot of access to the things that the self-contained teachers have anymore. I knew the program yeah. and I knew that, you know, I knew how to do the lesson plan. I knew the, I knew the unique program very well because I taught self-contained, but I didn't have access to a lot of programs I needed to, to document things and put grades. And so that was, that was a chore. And I was like, why did I do this? Yeah. So what, what advice do you have for other teachers that are realizing that maybe saying yes to everything is not in their best interest? How do you, how do you navigate that? I would, um, what I do now, my advice is to instead say, I can try to, I can help you with that. But I also have this I need to complete as well. So um, which one, if you're talking, you know, maybe speaking to your administrator, and this is quite important, which one would you like for me to make priority right now? Ooh, that's a great phrase. I love that. That has seemed to work well. And when I have um, other teachers that need you to do this now, I can say I, I will do that. And I know that that is very important to you right now. I need to do this and I will get to you second or third. So if they know that I'm acknowledging them and I'm not saying I can't do that right now and I'm coming off very cross to them or, you know, very abrupt, if I acknowledge that, yes, I realize that it is important to you, but I also have something I need to do as well and I will prioritize you also. It seems to have worked, but. That's a really good line too. Like something so simple, like I see that this is important to you because sometimes that's, that's sometimes half of what people want is like the validation. Yes. I think that makes me feel better when I, someone acknowledges, I understand that that is important to you. I am going to get to that and I will have you an answer, you know, by the, something by the end of the day, or if I know that you're, you are actually going to work on it, it makes me feel better. What do you, what advice do you have for, you know, young teachers or teachers that are new to a school or new to special ed? I think there's a lot of pressure to, you know, be the best team player you can be and you're on every committee and volunteering for anything that's to be done. Like what, what advice do you have for that, for, you know, a teacher in that position where it's, it might seem really uncomfortable. Even those lines are great. I love the like, how do you want me to prioritize this? That's brilliant. Um, but how, what advice do you have for that teacher that feels like I just have to? That's the expectation of me as a first year teacher or the new teacher to the building. Uh, well, um, I would choose that committee. Do the one the things that you have to do. Did you, if you have to be on a committee, like we have to be on a committee. 
choose that committee that and that doesn't seem like it'll be too much work that first year and not saying that you're not going to give it your best effort but that way you can still focus on the overwhelming things that you're going to fill in your classroom and that can be your top priority and then you're yeah. still fulfilling your committee but it's not a committee that's going to take a lot of dedication from you yeah and, and you then, don't have to like be the champion year one <laughs> yes yes I silly me jumped on the robotics committee to look like you know to be involved and um that I did not realize that was an all year thing and it was two days a week and then we oh, had to wow. do two competitions oh <laughs> my gosh <laughs> yeah that that's another great point what do you do and I don't really have a good answer to this either like when you have realized that you've said yes to too many things like it I mean even as an adult like even as, as I, I mean I give advice on this stuff all the time it's hard for me to ask for help like what do you do when you just you have overcommitted and said yes to too much that is difficult. I do that too. I, I am really bad about asking for help and saying I'm overwhelmed. Um, you're going to have to, I, I found that if I found a buddy I could trust at school, that was really um, helpful for me because she was very good with technology. She was very trustworthy with answers and she would jump in there and tell me, you take care of that. I know how to do this. I'll do this for you. I'll help you with this. And I was like, oh, great. If you'll help me with this, I'll help you with that. So I found someone that I could team with. And then it also just helped having that support system until yeah. you make it through that year and then make yourself a middle note next year. I will not <laughs> be doing this one. <laughs> I know sometimes we do just have to like make our mistakes to really learn like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I shouldn't say yes to too much. But like until you feel it, the results of that. It's sometimes hard to change your behavior until you've had a bad experience, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jamie. I, I think this is such great advice going into the school year, especially after the last year and a half that there's going to be this renewed energy to like, I can do all the things. It's great. I don't have to deal with virtual instruction. <laughs> you know, my mind's going to be so open not for all these other things to do. But, you know, we want to make sure to take care of ourselves and and not get ourselves in a position we don't want to be in. No, no, don't do that. You do get burnout <laughs> fast. Well, thank you, Jamie. You're welcome. Thank you, Sasha. Last, I am talking with special education teacher, Sierra Miller. Sierra and I are talking about three ways to embed communication into your classroom. I love Sierra's tips because they are super actionable and just quick ways to refresh the way you're using visuals. We all know visuals are important, but it's really essential to kind of dig into why they're important. And then as Sierra shares how we are teaching those visuals and we've got to get our whole team on board with this. So let's jump in and have Sierra share the three ways you can embed communication opportunities into your day. Hi, Sierra. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Sasha. Thank you for having me. So I'm excited to chat about communication opportunities because I think once you start to think about it, and you'll be sharing some awesome ideas I know in a second, there's really communication opportunities everywhere. And it's just our job to kind of capitalize on those, right? Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, language and communication, I mean, it's within every goal, I feel like, for our students. 
I know. And really like in every classroom center and classroom activity, it's, it's not just the job of the SLP, right? It's like everyone right. has to be on board with just getting as much communication out of our kids as we can. Yes. The, the communication is more than just their 30 minutes a week with the speech therapist. It's all day, <laughs> every day. Yes. Okay. So you have three ways that you're going to share on how to embed communication opportunities. I love, I love the word embed because like you said, it's just part of everything. So what's kind of the first strategy on how you do this in your classroom? So the first thing I always look at, uh, I always do this at the beginning of the year, but I find myself reassessing throughout the year multiple times is what visuals do we need at this center? What visuals do we need at this table? What about at lunch? Are we, what visuals supports do we need there? Um, and also breaking it down sometimes into which small group needs more visuals, which one is using core boards. Um, maybe I have another group using a PEX book. So if there's a, one or two students using a PEX book, I can pull those icons specifically for their book to have at that table. Um, and if I'm using core boards, making sure they have the correct fringe supports for those activities. Um, and just even simple singular single icons um, are also, I think, super helpful for students across all kind of communication ranges and levels. Yeah, I love the advice to kind of redo that throughout the year because things get lost, <laughs> like right, pictures get lost. They do, and like you know, ultimately we want the kids making progress. So like what they were using in August and September, you know, often isn't what they're using in December and January or May. Um, they've made progress, so we need to we, we're constantly you know we need to up the ante, you know, so they're not stuck and plateauing in one one spot. Yeah, that's a great point. Like we want them individualized and their individual needs will change throughout the year. Exactly. That's such yes. a good point. Okay, so your second strategy is one I super, super believe in. And this is like, this is key to really maximizing on every opportunity. What's the second thing you do in your classroom? The second thing is the um, creating the opportunities. Is that part correct? Is that what we said? Yeah, yeah. Well, however okay. you want to do it. Okay, perfect. The second thing yeah. is uh, creating the opportunities. Um, it's great if they know how to request that they need a pencil, but if they always have a pencil, they're never going to need to ask for it. Um, so at lunch, if we have a student that prefers drinking out of a straw, we might give them their juice, but they're going to, the straw's not there. And so they're going to ask for the straw, whether it be um, with their textbook, uh, with sign, with a sentence, um, you know, I have kids of all different communication levels. So some are using a full sentence, some are using carrier phrases, um, some are using icons, um, but just creating those opportunities. If it's um, a cut and paste activity, not giving them scissors or glue, or for some kids not giving them either. So that way they're having to not just complete the the academic work, but the um, but also the, the communication part, requesting the materials they need to be able to complete work independently. Yeah. Talk me through what that looks like when you don't give the scissors and how do you teach, um, you know, and, and provide appropriate prompting for how to ask for the scissors if a kid is kind of stuck? Yeah. So, you know, and I always have to remind myself, like if I giving a kid a picture icon doesn't solve all the behaviors. And I think sometimes we get too excited, like, oh, now we have this way. If we give them this, they're going to communicate. We're not going to have these access based behaviors because now they can request, but we're, we have to break it down and we have to teach it to them um, just like any other academic task. Um, so when we, you know, we might start with the, 
oh, you want the scissors? And we are, we're giving them the icon of the scissors to model. You know, we're constantly modeling how we use these tools and these skills to get what we want. Um, so we're giving them the scissors when they hand us the card. It might just be a back and forth. And then we want to kind of fade off quickly because what I know in my experience is I have a lot of kids that become prompt dependent. So then they're waiting for you to prompt them to request, you know, to use their their picture icon. So um, showing them how to request, giving them the opportunity to request, and then immediately reinforcing it um, so they understand the concept of when I do this, I get this. Um, and then if they don't, you know, some kids aren't, if, if they're not motivated to complete the task, they're not going to request the scissors. So again, it has to be the right matchup of when I can create the opportunity because the motivation really has to be there. Yes, so true. How do you get your how do you get your team on board for this? Because that's sometimes an obstacle, right? Getting your paraprofessionals all on the same page with you on how to do this, how to create opportunities, and then how to follow through and teach the missing skill. Yeah, so I am so lucky. I have like the world's best paraprofessionals. Um, <laughs> and they are always on board for any. I always start a new thing with, I know you guys are going to think this is crazy, but you know, and, <laughs> and they're always on board. They're like, let's do it. Um, but you know, I think that especially with communication, we see the change so quickly that we almost get that immediate gratification from it. Um, that it makes at the end of the day, it makes our jobs easier if the kids are communicating, you know, we're not dealing with the, um, the higher behaviors, you know, the more communication we have, the less behaviors we have. So it's a lot of prep. It's a lot of cutting, a lot of laminating, a lot of Velcroing. Um, but if you put that work in, what you get out of it is so much better. And everyone just kind of seems to get like, Hey, at the end of the day, they're communicating. And like, that's what we want for them. And so, yeah, it's a lot of work up front. It's a lot of, we have to communicate as adults. Oh, this is what we're working on. We have a board where I put each kid's name and it kind of has like a quick rundown of their targets. So we know, oh, okay, this student, like Johnny is working on three word sentences, but oh, you know, Sally's only working on one, one word request, you know, so we're kind of all on the same page um, to kind of help with that consistency as well. Oh, that's great. I love that. Cause it's, it's important for everyone to be, you know, on the same page all the time, but it's hard to remember everyone's goals. So I love like a quick reference spot for everyone yes. to, so that's, to kind of look that's at. super helpful. And it's helpful for me too, because I'm always forgetting, oh wait, no, he's, he's not doing a full sentence. That's, you know, that's Timmy or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I'm having to flip back and forth as well. So just getting everyone on the same page and just, um, I don't know. We're kind of each other's like hype man. Like we're always like, okay, we're going to do it. It's going to go well. And some days I know we're like saying it and we're all like, eh, it's not going to go well, but we just keep saying it. And it's kind of like a running joke, like, oh, it, it's going to be fine. And it, it is fine. It works out. Um, so I think just really just sticking to the positive, admitting sometimes, hey, this sounds a little crazy, but let's try it. And, you know, it, it just gets everyone on the same page. Yeah. It's a nice way to frame it. Like this is new. And we're just going to see how it goes, you right. know? Yes. Awesome. Definitely. Okay. So your last strategy looks at those like highly utilized visuals and where you put them. Because I see this, I, I'm happy you brought this up because I see this misstep a lot, especially with newer teachers. They make all the visuals and then they like put them in one box or one mm -hmm. file folder and they're like, I made the visuals. Yeah. And it's like, right. well. well, you know, when <laughs> I first started teaching, I was like scared of visuals because there's just so many. And what do I do with them? 
when do I use them? And like the biggest issue for me was how do I store them? You know, like what do I do with all of these? But really, while we do need to store them, we need to use them more than we're storing them. So um, of course we have like backups and extras and like a box of miscellaneous that's never going to probably ever be organized, but <laughs> we keep um, the highly used visuals like throughout the room, like on on the outside of our bathroom, our classroom has a bathroom. And on the outside of that door, you know, we have like all the bathroom visuals right there. So when we're in the bathroom, there is not a visual that you would need that's not available. Um, And when we have like sentence strips, um, carrier phrases, things like that, any highly used visual or sentence strip or anything like that is just throughout the room in multiple places. So really the best place to store it is in your classroom is kind of what I've learned. Um, because that's where you're going to use it. You're not going to use it if it's tucked away in the file folder. Um, and probably when you need it, you're not going to be able to find it. So I just try to keep everything stored. I like to have a like lost and found section where, um, we just, any visual we find it, just, we put it up on the Velcro on the strip on the board and it eventually finds its home, you know, maybe like (laughs) once a week we're putting it back where we, where it goes or where we think it might go. Um, but definitely just having them out, um, and labeling things in the classroom to match the, the, the icon, the picture is, I think, helpful too. helps kids kind of make that connection. Oh, this icon is for pen. This is a cup of pens, you know, things like that. Yeah, exactly. And I love how this, this strategy really tr- ties into number two on, you know, creating those opportunities and then, oh, look, the tool you need is right here available. Like it, right. those two really work so well together. Yeah. So just like visuals, you know, sometimes it's not as aesthetically pleasing as I like to think it's going to be, but I've had to let that go. And I'm like, you <laughs> know what? It needs to be functional, not pretty. So we're that's where I think my head is at now as a teacher is as long as it's functional and, you know, orderly, it, if it matches, that's a bonus. Um, but yeah, just finding kind of just storing it within the classroom where it's used is the best um, way to have them readily available. And follow-up question to that, how do you kind of figure out what visuals you're going to need available or what type of communication opportunities should be happening around the room? I mean, obviously that comes with time, but do you have any kind of, you know, thought process or system that you've used in the past for like, oh, I know these things should go here. Yeah, I, um, like I know like at, at Circle, we're doing, like I sit down, I think about like, what do we do at Circle? We do days of the week, we do months. What do we have for my students who aren't speaking? Like what, or even the ones who are, who still need the visual support, what do I have to help them communicate? So I'll get the days of the week, you know, those stay at Circle. Um, we do a lot of like instruments. So like we have a choice board for that. So when it's, Timmy's turn to pick what instrument we're going to use. You know, he has the um, the pictures right there and it has the sentence strip at the bottom. So he can just pull it off and place it right there and tell us, you know, I want drums. Um, I also try to like the beginning of the year, keep a clipboard on me and I'm always like writing down like missed opportunities um, and then going back and creating those visuals. Oh, I love that. Um, so just kind of writing myself notes because really you don't know what you need until you're in the moment. <laughs> um and then you're, like, you're going to forget a few right. hours later, right? Especially if it's like a behavior situation, things are just escalating and you know, oh, if I would have had this visual, we could have like brought it down quicker. Maybe we could have de-escalated a little quicker. Um, so yeah, just keeping that running log of, oh, okay, like Sally, like Sally needs color visuals for, you know, art, you know, when we do an art activity, I try to have all the visuals, the basic visuals, and then 
I think about like which specific kids might need more or less. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. I, I think these are all really practical things that a new teacher or a veteran teacher can utilize and kind of refresh and reevaluate, especially as we go into this next school year. Yes, definitely. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing all these ideas. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.